Hello, this is Melissa. It is Real History on the 25th of January, 2024, and I'm happy today to be having a conversation with Malcolm. Malcolm is from Cumbria, which is now known, he tells me, as Cumberland. They've redrawn some districting, etc., etc., but in that Cumbria region of England. Hi, Malcolm. Hello. Thank, thanks for inviting me on. You bet. I'll just say also, too, that you've been writing, Alan, for a long, long time. It, it almost as, I mean, just it seems like forever, but I'm not sure because time has a weird way for me. But I feel that I know you pretty well via your emails, and you've always made really interesting observations about a variety of things from geoengineering to group dynamics. And so I always find your emails to be thought provoking. So I'm happy that we can have this conversation and I'll let you decide where we go next. Well, if I start off with just, um, as a lot of other people have done, describe how I kind of, my waking up process, if you like, over the years, I've never really been the sort of person who just accepts things as they are. So, for example, when I was very young, I would be asking questions about all sorts of different things um, that perhaps parents didn't want to answer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just searching things, really. And I have have to say I've noticed that in other people as well who who are aware. They tend to be a lot more questioning than most people. I never really voted at all because I didn't really believe in the political system at all it was so obvious to me that it was a scam even though I didn't know how it were, how it was a scam in, in the sense I didn't understand the background to it really and at the time when I was younger sort of uh, late teens early 20s I kind of had the idea that it would be possible somehow to find out how it was a scam but I was no I had no idea how you would go about that really I thought you'd have to you'd have to intake a fantastic amount of information to be able to do it. Um, so that kind of got put on the back burner. Moving forwards, there were things about 9/11 that, to me, didn't make sense because I've got a, a scientific background. I did chemistry at university, so I, I tend to be very analytical in the way that I think about things. And with the 9/11 thing, I just remember it was one of those flashbulb memories that people have where. If you ask most people where they were during 9-11, then they'll be able to tell you what they were doing at the time. Um, I do some gardening, so I happened to be in a garden at the time doing some work for somebody, and she said, come in and see what's happened, and it was on the television and everything. And the things that struck me, of course, about that, which is what a number of people have commented on at the time, was how how is it possible that two towers could collapse directly into the footprint like that? That just seems strange to me. And I didn't really buy the story of the planes thing either. From that point, I kind of put that on the back burner and just, it was one of those things that happened. And then for a few, a few years after that, I kind of went back to normal living, if you like. But then eventually, I mean, I was watching bits and pieces of television. I've never been a very big television watcher, but I did watch a few programs and things. And there were certain things that started to um, strike me as odd in the sense of, why are there so many police dramas in the sense, and, and I started to think, well, surely um, they can come up with some other form of story than that. <laughs> but if you go back through, if you go back through history, how many 
different it's often like a, a two cops or something or other that kind of starskin hutch or that was from the 70s and then there's been various ones in the uk and it was a bit of a um i, I studied hypnotherapy as well in 1997 to 99 so i did chemistry in the early 90s and then hypnotherapy in 97 to 99 and i did a bit of part-time practice of hypnotherapy for 10 years until around about 2010 so of course with the hypnotherapy side of things you tend to get kind of pulled in to some extent into the new age kind of ideas and everything and there were various people you looked into but the thing about it was having the scientific background there were certain things about the things we were putting forward that didn't make sense in the sense that they couldn't make sense in reality because there's the causalities the other side of the coin of what they were trying to do which was things you know the metaphysical thinking and things like that but i do want to say that i do believe and have had quite a few experiences that that don't fit into a scientific framework i don't want to come across as somebody who's a pure reductionist because i'm not nowhere near it but i would say that the vast majority of things in the world are based on causality at our level anyway at the, at the human level Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, go, going back to the waking up process, so I thought, well, I, I've never seen any of David Icke's things. So I sat there one day and watched a, a full day presentation that he did. And of course, David hasn't necessarily got a very good following in the, uh, in the sense of um, l- legitimacy, if you like, from some people. So I thought, well, I'll see if I can find anybody else. So seeing the David Icke thing led me to watching Alex Jones, which is a, 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 an obvious way that a lot of people enter this kind of thing and then alan what was on there a few times and what he said makes made sense this was about 2011 early 2011 and from that point on i i I just started going through alan's work so i downloaded the mp3 files and was listening to them mostly in the car so because it seemed to go the way you're driving and then you, you can kind of focus on what you're listening to it seemed easy to me to do it that way um, so I went through all that lot, eventually sent away for the, for the books and, and read those several times. <laughs> I have to just to inter- interject with a, a bit of a joke here. A yeah. lot of people over the years have said that they fall asleep listening to Alan. You know, they'll play it as they're drifting off to sleep. And then the sound of his voice just lulls them to sleep. And they don't mean that derogatorily. It's just calming and relaxing, et cetera. So I'm really glad that it didn't have that effect on you while you were driving. (laughs) No, 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 it didn't. Although I have to admit that on occasion I have listened to some talks late at night and I have fallen asleep. So I think (laughs) if you are tired, it probably does. So that was the process. So really, I, I've kind of focused mainly on Alan's work over the last, is it now, 12, 13 years. But I also looked into things that other people were putting out. But of course, eventually, over a period of time, you get an understanding of how the counterintelligence works. And you kind of, and there's a lot of people you cross off your list eventually over a period of time because you realize that they're just counterintelligence agents really of one form or another they may put out some information that's useful that's worth looking into yourself but at the same time it's no point in following what they're doing which goes back of course to what alan said about um 
Pied Pipers, mm-hmm. um, and you're and you're your own champion. So you've got to kind of it's really a case of you think for yourself. Um, and you get your information from sources as long as you can verify the information, if possible, that you're getting. So that that, that was the, the the overall process. And I think, um, as other people have said, it was from 2011, maybe three or four years, that there was a, a grieving process that went on. And you've kind of got to, um, the way I think of it, it's a bit like a jigsaw. So you've got the reality that's presented to you which is where all the pieces are put together in a particular way and it's usually not very high resolution in the sense of um, the propaganda is very simplistic and if you dig into any of it you notice that things don't quite add up but then the waking up process to me looking at it from that point of view is a bit like that you can put that jigsaw together in a completely different way which gives you a completely different picture but it requires taking the first jigsaw to pieces and then going through every single piece to see how it actually fits into the whole thing and by going through that process you find out all the things that you once believed in which are not necessarily true but then of course there are a lot of things that it's like things are on the back burner some things you you can't absolutely verify it you can have a hunch and say well i'm 80 percent convinced that that's possibly what happened however i would never get the 100 percent unless i had more information on that subject but at least it gives you an idea of the overall picture that i was also thinking alan mentioned it to do with the cutting through books to do with the guest salt the way that the the the, the whole is more than the sum of its parts and um the guest salt, if you like, of the fake reality, the, the pre- reality that's presented to you is different to the overall guest salt of the other reality. And I think with a lot of people, it's a case that they can't knock the whole picture down. They can take a piece out and realise something's not right, but I think it would be too much of a psychological shock for a lot of people to completely dismantle the picture and so as soon as you point something out to them and they take one of the pieces out they immediately put it back in again within the next few days because they don't want to have to take the rest of the jigsaw to pieces yeah <laughs> that's you know the way you, I, that, that, that's where i put it you <laughs> raised a, that's a very good point that you have brought up there and when i was a child they had this little visual game in the newspaper that you could play and it was two pictures, you know, side by side or atop each other. And it was find the differences in these pictures. And at a glance, yeah. they looked exactly the same. But then you'd go through. And I just loved it. I always played that. You'd, you'd Whatever five or six things are different. But when it comes to getting conscious of the this reality, it... it you do have to kind of jump off the cliff and hope for the parachute because you do have to smash the entire picture and put it back together for yourself if you're going to get beyond the bottom level. It just has to happen. You have to say there, there's nothing that is that belongs in this image. This, the, the original jigsaw puzzle, if you will. The entire puzzle is wrong. And I've got to piece it together myself. Yeah, and I think that's the difficult bit to do. I think 
Well, I'm trying to think back to a few years ago. You, when, as you as you smash the, the the puzzle and you start putting it back together again, it's almost like you've got to accumulate various different bits of knowledge from various different avenues to be able to look at. In some cases, to look at one of the pieces, do if you understand what I mean? It's not. It's a whole picture. In, in other words, information over to the right, for example, might be relevant to this piece you're looking at. But if you don't, if you ignore that piece of information, you might get the wrong conclusion. It, uh, does that make sense? <laughs> it does make sense, uh, and I'm not sure that this is directly related to what you just said, but uh, it occurs to me that sometimes people get overwhelmed by the idea that they need to research, you know, break it down and then put it back together again, or they think if I miss something or, well, I wasn't, I, I'm old now and I didn't, start off reading the dusty old books as a child, how will I ever figure this out? But it really isn't like that. Once the process begins and you just let it happen and you go with it, what you need to know, uh, one thing does lead to the next thing, and then you can come back around and it's not linear. You're putting things together and then jumping over to a new area of research and then jumping back. If you don't get discouraged by the process, if you have fun with it, if you get at peace with the process, you reach a level of understanding that is that satisfies you. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, on the other... On the other side of things as well, of course, everybody's individual in the sense of their experience of the world and reality is going to be slightly different because mm-hmm. we all have different strengths and weaknesses, if you want to put them that way, to do with mm-hmm. the way we think about things and emotionally, that kind of thing. So, um, Which is another reason why discussion about these sorts of topics between people who kind of may, gone through the process of waking up, if you like to use that term, is useful because it gives you different perspectives on the you get stuck in your own way of thinking sometimes i think that's that's what i'm trying to say and if you get points of view from other people you see things in different ways that you maybe haven't thought thought of yourself um as i said i tend to be more analytical which is a bit of a bias but um that's just the way i tend to to, to think about things but these it's, i find it useful to listen to people who are perhaps more creative say um um, and you get a different perspective on things for, from that point of view. Mm-hmm. So going back to the process. So eventually we, we, we move on to the scandemic, which was in 2020, or, bega- or officially began in 2020. And it kind of, in, in January, I was aware of, it, it was almost presented in a way that, you, that they were going to use it for something. Mm-hmm. And then, and then moving forward from then, it was a case for me of I wasn't sure which which side of the uh, of, uh, it was going to fall on. Was it going to be something where they presented it as a horrific illness that lots of people were going to die of, but it wasn't, which is more or less what it turned out to be, or was it going to be the other way where a lot of people were going to die of this thing and it was going to be highly contagious, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it took. Uh, so I was kind of in that on the fence between those two because to me there wasn't enough information that you could verify at the time until things started to become more evident really with 
exposés about hospitals and various things like that, and it become it came became fairly obvious as to what it was. And then, of course, at that point in time, people I'd kind of made a few contacts. I was on Facebook at the time. I made a few contacts that way. So I had discussions with other people who were aware of what was going on, that kind of thing. And we were all expecting at that point in time for a lot of things to be introduced, which perhaps could have been if things hadn't gone the way they were. They did. And I think people were kind of looking for the shorter version of what we're actually planning for now, which is to do with survival in the long term. But... um I think people believed at the time that they were going to get things cut off immediately within the next year or so, and they would have to make some major preparations in that short space of time. Which then brings me on to the next part, which was to do with going to stand in the park groups. And mm-hmm. I, I was always completely aware from the things that Alan had said about um, counterintelligence and infiltrators that it was a risky business. But I thought, well, it'd be worth going just to talk to a few individuals as long as you're kind of aware of the possibility that they could be infiltrated. And if you look through various of these fairly obviously controlled opposition groups, the person who leads them is somebody who's been put in there to kind of take over the organisation, run everything, um, take it down the road as if it's going in the direction that the rest of the members want it to go in but obviously steer it off in a, in a certain direction. So the thing I was looking for when I first went to, well, it was Keswick first I went to, was if there was anybody who was obviously going to steer the whole thing. There were, kind of, well, there were people you kind of suspect, but I don't think in the, in the long run there were. Perhaps some people are just enthusiastic. It, in the Workington group, it was fairly obvious that it was quite small. I don't think the... I've never really kind of got the impression that anybody that was ever there, because there's very, very few people go to these things now. We're talking like four or five now, nowadays. There was anybody in the working group that was infiltrating the group in any way, because I don't think it was really looked upon as much of a threat, really. Workington is... Sorry. Go ahead. About Workington. Sorry? What I was thinking is that that is sad, because... Here, people lived through watching in real time their rights being taken away, told that they were under, you know, a prison term, locked down. Uh, the, the whole masking situation, it actually, and now you did see mass groups like in Germany and other, and the Canadian truckers, et cetera, take to the streets or take to their trucks, and we don't know what kind of organization might be behind that. But it is pretty sad to think that in what appeared to be a kind of grassroots protest, only four or five people would show up. Well, originally, when if you go back to, um, say, 2020, I first went to Kazikin, was it October 2021? So the And I think really the groups only kind of started in 2021. So you might have had more then. So there's 20 people to start with. And in Workington, the first time I went there, which was a, two or three months later, that was there was maybe 25 people there. And I think some of them still exist on the fringes because they've formed their own kind of evening groups, that kind of thing, from that. But now it's down to sort of three, three four or five that, left, that actually go to the park itself. Uh, I think 
from off the top of my head, Workington's population is something like 14,000, so it's not very many people out of 14,000. And this Keswick's about, I think it's about 4,000 in Keswick, maybe a few more, but that was sort of 10 people that went to that originally. But then I think you can kind of bring it into the things that Alan talked about to do with um, the difference between waking up and reacting. Mm-hmm. A lot of people were reacting to what was going on. but the and So they were focused on the COVID thing being locked down, but they didn't see the bigger picture. And so perhaps from that point in time when they went to the group, they then decided, oh, well, we've, they're now relaxed the lockdowns and everything so we can go back to normal. That's mm-hmm. That was part of them. Mm-hmm. But I also got the impression that there might have been people who were who had studied the whole thing for a long time. Maybe a, not, not very many, maybe two or three of them. But when they started talking to other people who were at the group, it was evident that people had been kind of taken in so much by the new age thinking ideas. Oh, if we just vibrate at a higher rate, it'll all go <laughs> back to normal, that kind of thing. <laughs> the, the, thought well there's nothing for me here i mean i'm quite tolerant tolerant. (laughs) i'm quite tolerant really in the sense of i will kind of sit with things for quite a while to just see you know to see what happens but um uh, the the people who are left i mean obviously they are actually quite aware people and haven't been stuck in that but there have been quite a few people who really were taken in by the q phenomenon and the trump and Oh, those are, are, are healthy chemtrails, and the internet's going to be changed to a one that's to serve humanity, and uh, all you know, all that kind. And they bought all of it, uh, and, and it was kind of well, it was almost as if it, they needed some kind of rock to cling to, in the sense of they couldn't handle the possibility of it not being the way they wanted it to be, and so they went down that route. In fact, there was somebody who said recently about the Q phenomenon. It's almost being put there for all these intellectual people who, you know, they've got this whole list of somebody in, um, well, he wasn't from the Keswick group, but he was down in Ambleside, which is further south than Keswick. We used to have meetings down there now and again. And he'd kind of gone through the Q phenomenon list, and there was supposed to be some list that was put out with all these dates on, which corresponded with all these events and, it was all, it was all, it's like it was almost like a tailor-made thing that was put together to to encapsulate the ones who like to think that they're intellectuals, if you like, what I'm, if you, if you say what I mean, see mm-hmm. what I mean. Mm-hmm. And there was all this kind. Of, they'd obviously put to me. They'd obviously put an awful lot of thought into, as you would expect, into the backlash of what they were going to do long before they did it. So right, so we'll take care of the general public. They'll just fall for the straightforward propaganda. And then we've got all these other people to deal with. So what can we put out there that's going to, uh, well, we'll shove a bit of the viruses don't exist thing in, and then we'll put a bit of this in, and and, and it all, it, and, and it, I think it worked pretty well for them actually in that sense because you, you end up with a lot of division within the groups because mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. In the Keswick group, which was kind of amalgamated with. Windermere, which is in the late district, well, Keswick's in the late district as well, Windermere and Kendall. Kendall was, I never went to the group at Kendall, but there was supposedly 50 people there originally. They kind of got together and, and it was a lot more organised in the sense of it was to do with like planning for the future and there were talk, people who were looking into the law and all this kind of stuff. That kind of fell apart over maybe a year or so. People just got 
involved with what they were doing in the, you know, back in their normal life, if you like, and, the, and they didn't kind of, the, the focus got less and less on that kind of thing. They tried to set up a health thing, which was based mainly on complementary therapies for people who were suffering from effects of the jabs. But by the sound of it, I don't want to go into too much detail here, but by the sound of it, it was infiltrated to some extent by at least one person. And there was a lot of personal attacks went on to the person who was kind of organising it. That that fell through as well. So it, it's kind of a learning curve as well. And I think that Alan always said that the whole thing was the war on the individual. So anything you do, obviously, the, the, the Workington group as compared to that other one was less organised but the advantage of that was that people kind of kept themselves as individuals so you can't target a group of individuals very easily can you because there's no leader mm-hmm. you've got no leader if you've got no leader you can't there's nobody to target so if you do, if you just kept as a very loose thing in a sense then it's much more effective in a, in a way than if it's an organised thing where such and such a person is what the one who's running it and they're organising it because there's somebody to focus on then and that seems to be what happened, and it's kind of what you'd expect, really, or what I would have expected. Mm-hmm. The other thing, the other thing that stood out as well, because it was an interesting le- learning process going to the groups just to talk to people to find out. If you think about it, most people who wake up are going to be quite individual anyway, because the fact that they're individual means they don't agree with the group as a general sense of, uh, in a general sense. And so they've got their own thoughts. But then the downside of that is when you get them together in a group of individuals, then you don't, you don't tend to agree on very many things, on <laughs> very, very many things um, <laughs> overall, um, which means that the group never really kind of has any um, cohesion to it either. <laughs> so it was interesting anyway, I'll put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, so, that is interesting. Um, the idea of the individual especially at this point when society has been so thoroughly broken down marriages families and everything though is if you are secure in your own mind and your own understanding then no matter what is said you won't be taken in and that is actually a huge defense against anything that they put out for us And I think people don't realize that because one of the first instincts when you start to come into this knowledge is, well, the first, one of the first things that you'll say, especially if you care about other people is, well, we've got to do something about this. You know, we've got to stop this. And that's just a normal, healthy thing to do to think, well, this isn't right. It's not right for me and it's not right for other people. But I think of the process of time, you, you want to wrap your head around the idea that this is an ancient agenda, that even though we've seen a lot of things speed up and come to a head right now as we phase into this whatever they want to call this, fourth industrial revolution, or where, wherever we are, whatever historians will call it later, we are at a significant turning point, and yet... Things will appear to be normal as we have known them for a long time. We'll just have little anomalous places like 
oops, all of a sudden everybody's wearing a mask. Oops, all of a sudden we're in a lockdown. And then they give you a break and then they go into the next strange thing. But I think that, that remembering that, well, it's a hard thing, you know, an individual and a, a true individual isn't going to mind standing on their own two feet and taking things as they come. But people who haven't got their sea legs of individuality are, will freak out. They look for a group and they want everybody to join so they can all change it together. Yeah, and that, and that seems to be the seems to be the case in the public. I mean, where I, I, I do some gardening, as I mentioned before, self-employed, but I also work for a charity which basically supports carers, um, and it's been interesting. Uh, we're not kind of heavily involved in health services as such, but we're kind of on the fringe of it. And um, Malcolm, can can yeah. you carer is a word? I know what that is, but it is not in popular use in places like Canada and the United States. I don't know, but can you tell everybody who's not in the UK what a carer does? Well, we're talking about, because um, these are quite a confusing topic because there are different types of carers. The sorts of carers that we support are people who are usually relatives who live with somebody who has an illness. It could be a mental illness or a physical illness, but the carer is the person in the house. So it might be the mother or the daughter or the husband or the father, that kind of thing. That's in this context. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you get carers that work in care homes, um, and things like that. So it's the person caring for the person who's ill. Mm -hmm. So we support the person who is caring for the person who's ill. But we obviously we also get fed a lot of information through emails and whatnot uh, about what's going on in the NHS, what's going on in social services. And from that, you can get a kind of flavour of what things are like in those organisations or institutions, as I would call them, because people really identify to a large extent most people i would say in those organizations really identify with the overall organization as not an individual but as a member of a group mm -hmm. and that comes through because it's like a consensus reality so the jobs are safe and effective this lockdown's the right things to do and, and, it, and it just flows through the whole thing in in that way mm -hmm. was that explanation of, the, of what the care was reasonable for people from other parts of the world yes <laughs> yes yeah, yeah yeah i suppose it depends on the on the system where you live because obviously in the uk we've had the nhs and it's, it's very a very socialist country now and if you were from a part of the world where it wasn't like that perhaps it would be a, a strange concept because for example a carer in a house would be classed as just another member of the household and that with a normal thing but with have kind of been redesignated now in, in the uk as carers because they're caring for somebody who's ill in the house mm -hmm. <laughs> um yeah so yeah so we have a lot of things going on now changes in the structures in the nhs and things like that which are I haven't really had time to really dig into it in in the de in that depth because of the, it's one of those things where they've obviously made it complicated so you can't understand it. <laughs> That's part of the con is the sense of if we make it difficult enough to understand, people won't know what's going on, and so then we can get away with all these other things that we try to do, and people won't notice that kind of a thing. 
Um, but it does seem to be moving towards more of a kind of um, collect, you know, the, the, the things that Alan talked about to do with where you'd be expected to turn up for your community meeting every week, that kind of thing. <laughs> and why weren't you there? It kind of has that flavour about it, really, the way it's going to do with care in the community and community hubs and all this kind of thing. So that's the kind of understanding I've got from from work, if you like, from that kind of thing. But obviously the, the other thing I wanted to say about work was there isn't really anybody in my work who is aware of what's going on in, at all, really. And it's been very, very difficult because... The, the things that are being implemented in push, you've got to still go into work and pretend to some extent to go along with it. You might not um, get involved in doing it as such. You know, you can avoid that to an extent. However, it just, you're kind of having to be disingenuous to yourself to some extent to, to actually be there at all. And I'm sure that other people who are aware or listen to Alan's work, etc., will probably agree working those sorts of jobs because most other people have no idea what's going on, and there's no you can't even tell them at all. You, you can drop the odd sentence in here and there, and they give you a strange look, and then and then that's it, <laughs> and then <laughs> things go back to uh, things go back to normal. And then after, after a week or two, after they've ignored you for a while. Um, they kind of forget, <laughs> and then and then you're back to square one. But you learn quite quickly, really. I found I found during the COVID thing that um, it's better not to say very much at all, unless somebody kind of is is opening the door to a conversation in that manner, if you like, because it, you get a consensus thing where when you're not in the office, they'll be discussing perhaps what you said or whatever, that kind of thing. Not that I'm paranoid or anything about it. I'm just, you know, the, the, the people do talking work, that kind of thing. And if, and if your statements are not in line with the party line, if you like, then they'll be looked upon as an oddity or an outsider or whatever. Um, well, and so. also a danger, a, a danger and on multiple levels too, because you're, by you not going along in the workplace, you are endangering them. That's what we heard over and over the last three and a half years. And you're also a huge danger to them psychologically because you are a constant reminder that there is a different way to think about it. And the knee-jerk reaction is for them to say, you're wrong. That's not the way, you know, you're wrong, you're wrong. But you have made them profoundly uncomfortable because they have to question their own position. They can have the indignation that you're a menace to society, but you have still put a chink in the armor of their denial of reality. Yeah, it's and the other thing that's interesting, a number of years ago, Alan mentioned, and I think it might have been in the Jackie Petru years, perhaps even in the latter part of the 1990s where to, if you've got two or three people together it has a much bigger impact than one person so 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 for example some people who've been to the working group work at cellar field you know the nuclear place mm -hmm. um used to be called wind scale but now it's cellar field 
and it, it's clear there that there, in each of the departments that these people work in, there's more than them themselves that are aware. There's a few. There's a, there's probably more workers there. So there are a, there's maybe two or three people in the department who are a lot more aware of what's going on, or questioning of things. And by the sound of things, talking to those people at work at Sellafield, it has more of an impact on the other staff because it's not just one person saying it. It's easy for where I work, where they could they all say, well, he's a nutter because he's got different views <laughs> to the rest of us. <laughs> but if there's three of us, if there was three of us saying the same thing, then it would be a lot harder for them to deny it. I mean, I can say, for example, well, I know a lot of other people have got similar views to myself, but they still don't, because they don't know that other person, the, mm-hmm. the people that I know, that it doesn't have any impact. And it's easy then for them to say, no, we're comfortable with the idea that the vaccines were safe and effective um, and that the lockdowns were the right thing to do and all the rest of it. And that that he's obviously got some strange ideas. Just don't talk to him very much. Put him in the corner. (laughs) And then that's their their way of dealing with it. But if there was two or three of us in there, then that would be extremely difficult for them to do then. And I think that's what's happened in some of these other places. But the other thing I wanted to mention as well was that the thing that stands out the most about the people that I've met in the last, say, three years, there are very few people under, say, 45. One or two, but not very many at all. Most people are late 40s, 50s, 60s, 70-year-olds. And it's there was one person who's been to the from another part of the UK that's been to the group with her mother that was sort of early twenties. There was somebody in the Keswick group that was say mid thirties, but other than that, the, the vast majority of people are older people. And it's almost as if it's to do with the fact that we've had an experience. I mean, I'm fifty two now, so we've had an experience in the past of what it was like before. Um, mobile phones before the internet what we used to do as children to play outside that kind of thing how these communities were different than 40 years ago and how things have changed over that period of time whereas the youngsters especially people who were brought up with this with, with a, a mobile phone followed by a smartphone followed by a tablet etc that that's normalized to them now just as when i was younger the TV was kind of normalised, whereas my parents' generation, they got TVs later on, maybe when they were 20 or 20 or something or other. And, of course, their parents' generation, they didn't have TVs. It was the radio. So perhaps that's got something to do with it. But the amount of brainwashing, of course, that we've talked, that, well, you've talked about and Alan's talked about in his talks over the years, that'll obviously be another major reason as to why the kids, sorry, children, um, the, the the way they are, and of course, there's all the, all, all the things in schools as well to do with the way that they're to do with climate change and everything else that they get mm-hmm. hammered into them at school. So, but well, that was something that stood out was the age of the people that turned up. I um, saw that too. Even though, oh, go ahead. Sorry, what were you going to say? Even though, even though, the majority of what will happen in the future will affect the younger generations are more than us. Yeah, absolutely. I saw that I didn't do any protests or anything like that at all, but a listener sent me tickets to 
a meeting, an all-day-long conference of what you might call the leading lights of the the medical freedom movement. And this was in yeah. sometime in t- the, maybe the summer of 2022, as I recall. And it was a medium-sized audience. I saw one gentleman there who might have been in his 30s and a couple that were in their maybe mid-40s. And everyone else, everyone without exception, was going to be over 50. And, yeah. and somebody commented, where are all the young people? Now, somebody made a very astute comment here, because this was different than a protest. This was something that you had to buy a ticket for. And if I'd had to buy the ticket myself, I would not have been able to afford it. I don't remember now what the cost was, and it was a gift to me, but I believe the ticket was in excess of $100. And a lady that I was sitting next to said, well, what university students or people in their young 20s have, you know, a 100 extra dollars they can just toss around on something? And that's a good point. She said there should have been a student price or a under 30 price or whatever. Yeah, that, that is a good point. I, I mean, some of the things... Um, that are associated with what you might call the truth movement, the events that they've had in the UK, that their tickets are very expensive for those Mm -hmm. sorts of things. And uh, obviously that does exclude younger people. Or if you live uh, at the other end of the country, for example, you'd either have to pay for a hotel to stay over Mm -hmm. um, and the ticket on top of it, or some of the events have had the hotel rooms that you could book if you got in there early enough as part of the conference itself, but yes, they are expensive. It begs the question, are they really doing this for all of the reasons? They always say, oh, we've got to wake people up and spread freedom and so forth and so on, but they make it, you know, freedom is awfully costly when you go to these events. So who benefits? Right, I say yeah. it's the organizers and the speakers. <laughs> yeah, well, that, well that, that must be the case as well. And I think with as well, without mentioning any names, because I'm sure that a lot of people will know the kind of things that we're talking about, there are certain subject areas that, 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 that don't get covered by a lot of people. And one of the biggest ones, I would say, is the chemtrail issue. Mm-hmm. That seems to be avoided by an awful lot of people. And, and, and if you think about it from the point, from a, a purely pragmatic point of view, that would be a way of affecting everybody through spraying the skies. Malcolm, and so it's an obvious it's an obvious thing you should be looking into, really. Um, and yet a lot of people just completely ignore it. It's and and, and if you if you dig, you can find a comment made here or there about it. Perhaps not necessarily dismissing it, just that they don't really they don't really focus on it. But I think as well, this is another side of things that I've been trying to kind of. Because of the, the, I have an interest in psychology, of course, with doing the hypno, hypnotherapy um, and the science. So those are the kind of ways I've been looking at, at things. With the new age type of thing to, to do with the vibrations, we're all going to vibrate at the same rate and all this kind of thing and, and, and ascend into the next dimension. That's the, the thing that comes forward a lot of the time. Um, but Alan also said about the microcosm, macrocosm, idea to do with mm-hmm. um i think it was in one of his videos to do with it's the end of reality yeah, check too yeah that's right um adam equals atom that kind yes, of thing yeah and changing the individual changes the the whole if you mm-hmm. like that kind of idea and then 
of course you've got to ask then we've got the the vibration stuff which is really theosophy and mm -hmm. it was promoted by well funded by the Rockefellers etc and Blavatsky and Annie Besant etc in the late 1800s and, and, and it's moved forward through the 60s etc and a lot of a lot of the new age ideas are associated with that mm -hmm. um, and then you've got to kind of I don't know whether you know the answer to this question, but you've got to ask the question, what was the purpose of that in the sense of, is it just entirely to get people away from thinking the, the way people thought in the past to do with the, the microcosm, macrocosm idea, or is it, are, are there other purposes in that thinking? I mean, part of it obviously is to do with the idea, is to do with fixing well with the positive thinking where, um, you never focus on the negative, you only focus on the positive. Because obviously if you have new vibrations up, then you're thinking positive all the time and you don't look at the negative either. <laughs> Whereas with the macrocosm thing, you've got this idea that um, you, you're looking at the whole of yourself, the negative and the positive and, and, and everything associated with both and how it all fits together. So I'm not sure, Is there any? do you have anything else that you could add to that that's Alan, that Alan said or anything? Or is that more or less it? Well, I, I, I think so. I mean, I think there's a lot of interesting things that they could accomplish with the new age. And one thing is the idea that people get to ascend or go to some other place without having to do any work. And part of the, yeah. what, you know, the, the shadow work, if you want to call it that, or looking at the negative in you as well, which is the microcosm, macrocosm idea is, you know, it's essential. And it also undermined Christianity in an enormous way. And say yeah. what you will about organized Christianity, which is splintered off into a lot of directions, but therein is the kernel of that microcosm, macrocosm idea. The fact that you are not, I have a cousin who would say, ah, she's not all that as a little bit of a put down. But yeah. that, that process of doing that work means that you have to look at yourself and go, <laughs> I'm not all that. And the New Age just puts its foot down on that because how dare you, you know, say something that goes against your self-esteem, you know. You have to love yourself and, you know, treat yourself. And so, so I, it's I, really negating... Go ahead. It's really, it's really negating the idea of know thyself. Yes. Definitively. Absolutely. Definitively. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, so, because that, well, that's one of the, uh, over the time, especially over the last three years when I've been talking to people, that's something that often comes into the conversation. And that's something that, that a lot of people seem to want to believe in. And you can tell on the other side of it, but, 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 Next week they're still back on to where they were before. So <laughs> the, you, you know the ego it. is very uncomfortable with the idea that that you that some other part of you is trying to undermine it. You know, 
the ego says, I, I am all that. I'm really good and I'm a good person. I'm a spiritual person and I care about other people. And so that's the ego and the new age really appeals to the ego and the vanity of self and the idea that you're just so special. And, you know, Alan always liked to point out, you might call them esoteric or deeper meanings of things. And, you know, one thing that he liked to say, there is a passage in the Bible where somebody says to Jesus, good master, and Jesus said, call no man good. No one but God alone is good. But the the deep, if you think about that, what he is saying is, who is good that walks on this earth and that is in this system? We're all corrupted by it. And yeah, that's something that the new age, just that, that there is a huge departure there. No. We're good because we say we are. Yeah, I mean, that to, to me, that's become increasingly evident, more so in recent months since the scandemic than, than ever before. It, it's, it's more of a sense thing to me. It's like people have lost the way, really, completely. I mm-hmm. mean, beforehand, obviously, we were, we were well down that path anyway from a long time ago with all the control and everything. But now the, the confusion in people is evident. Even though it's not expressed on the surface, you can tell that people, there's like a confusion going. I think Alan mentioned once before that on an unconscious level, you can have, you don't know why you're confused. You don't know why you've got these problems, but it's because the, the whole kind of bedrock of what would be normal to a human on, on an unconscious level has been eroded away or collapsed or whatever. And, and your reactions are kind of like your, your, your mind trying to come to terms with what it is that's gone wrong, which you can't put in consciously put into words. I can't remember the talk where he talked about that. It was a, it was quite a while ago, I think. But um, I think that's that's the case as well. People, there are certain things that um, would be classed as normal experiences for humans, and that would apply to other animals as well. I mean, it's, there's a, they have certain experiences in life that have a, a kind of vague boundary to them in the sense of that um, it has a similar pattern in each individual, although it's slightly different in each person. Mm-hmm. And once you get to a point where society is so corrupted and so dysfunctional that, you, that the people within it are no longer able to have those fundamental experiences of, of humanity, then you're in big trouble because you end up with all kinds of dysfunctional behavior. People obviously go that you have the drugs problem and disharmony between people in different um, communities and everything else under the sun that goes with it. And, yeah, the um, redex that the, I put the, up... Go ahead. Sorry? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I'm sorry I interrupted. Yeah, no, so, so I was just going to say that, um, that that's quite that's kind of an evident, an evident thing. There's somebody in working to you know, who goes on a regular basis, and he said that, um, and he, he has been quite aware for a long time, really. He said that a lot of the spark of life has gone since COVID. You know, it's in the sense of maybe it's for, for the people who've been aware, aware of what's going on as well, it's, you kind of, 
we, we've crossed a different threshold now. We had the 9-11 thing, which was like the kickoff for it, and then we've gone through another threshold now. And uh, there's bound to be parts, uh, apart from the conscious understanding of what's going on, there's going to be the effects of things that we, we're not necessarily consciously aware of on different levels that affect us as well. But you just know it's not right. It just doesn't feel right. And that's that, that's about things that you, you're, un, you're not unable to assess by watching what's going on or reading or whatever. It's just to do with your actual experience of what you're going through, if you get what I mean. I do. Um, so, I mean, I mean, so, for example, in work, where I, where I work at, which I work there a couple of days a week because I do the garden the rest of the time, people have been sick most of the time for the last two years since the jab rollout. And we're talking about like quite serious things with chest infections, this kind of thing, in the summer as well, not in, not just in the winter, but in the summer. Mm-hmm. And so obviously it affects people's moods when they're not well and uh, and it kind of brings the whole thing down in a sense overall. And if you put that across the whole of society, you know, the person who worked behind the checkout maybe doesn't feel as well now as they did six months ago, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then you have that from a, on a day-to-day basis with various different people that you meet. You get this sense that people are not, yeah, don't feel as happy or whatever it was that they were before. Um, they're not as together. They're not. They're out of balance, if you like, or whatever. And that's on top of whatever the effects of the job actually were. I mean, talking about the the full scale effect of whatever effect it had on people, because we don't really know that, do we? You, no. you can go through all the information about, uh, and there's some evidence, for example, for, for, for various bits and pieces to do with antibody dependent enhancement. Obviously, the quite a lot of evidence to do with people who've the exploding cancers and. But then there's all the sort of the things to do with the way it's affected the brain and how the you know the spike protein goes into the brain. And then on the other side, there's all the things to do with what else was in the jab as well that we don't know anything about. Right. From my point of view, from what I've looked at, there were there was other things in it, but we just don't know what they are, and we don't know what they're for. <laughs> you know, there's so much we don't know about it. Basically, isn't there really? And I think that um, you don't really know how it's affected people you know very specifically we don't specifically know how it's affected people because to me it probably has had an effect on people more than the than the, the little bits of pieces of information that we can put together from what we can find out that we can verify it seems more than that to me but, i think um, so anyway, and that's just, just yeah william mac dr william Maccus did several pieces last summer into the fall showing the increase in suicides and suicidal ideation following the jab. And, you know, when I was preparing to talk to him, I found just easily within, say, 10 minutes of searching, I wasn't reading them, I was just looking for the title of the article, but probably a dozen, you know, in the peer-reviewed study category of the knowledge that this was causing people to have psychotic breaks, various kinds of psychosis, et cetera, et cetera. So it's known that whatever is in there that they're not telling us has a detrimental effect to people's brain chemistry and mental well-being. Yeah, which which then 
brings us round to, to the other thing that uh, that I was thinking as well was if you um, I think you mentioned this before uh, a while ago to do with the G in Freemasonry to do with generation etc. Mm-hmm. If you the two things as far as the controls would be concerned about would be one would be reproduction because obviously that's reproducing humanity. Um, and there's been a lot of evidence that it's to do with sterility and, and, and if the Pfizer documents that are, as I say, there were, then that seems to have been one of the main focuses of the jab. But also to do with society itself, that anything that's produced in society has to be created in somebody's mind first. And so if you were going to target the whole thing, you'd be targeting the reproduction and then you'd be targeting the ability to to create through the mind, if you get what I mean as well. Mm-hmm. The, 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 and those would be kind of two focuses of what you would be aiming for. To me, that seems to be the case in the sense of... It, I mean, it's difficult to tell because obviously we've all been through the whole thing and we're bound to have been affected by what's happened ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so our per- um, perception of what hap- of, of how people are now might be tainted by our experience or what we're expecting to see in people. That's, That's the thing. And I think it's very difficult to make a, a judgment about how things have changed. See, all I can say is that my gut feeling, and from what I've seen, things have changed, as you say, to do with the suicidal ideation, etc. That's obviously the case to some extent, but then it's difficult to piece together how much of it is to do with the psychological damage of the lockdowns and the effect on society and right. the shutting down of businesses and all that thing and how much of it is to do with the direct effect on the job or on the individuals concerned and then the other thing of course as well is the to do with transmission of whatever was in the job mm-hmm. you've got you've got that side of it whereas where um there could be some transmission involved from that but at the same time if you've got a population where their immune systems have been damaged so they're now more susceptible to other infections that they wouldn't have been susceptible to before then you will get things more prevalent in the community at large because there's there's less of a a scope for keeping these infections down. If each individual is less resistant to it, the ones that have had the jab, then it's going to pass around a lot more easily, perhaps developing into something more serious more easily, and then people who didn't have the the treatment could succumb to those things as well. So there's so much confusion, probably, as we've always said over the years, intentionally put in so it keeps everybody confused about what, what the root cause of anything is they've they really have done quite a good job on this one because of there's so many elements to it it's difficult to work anything out there's too many variables shall we say to pin down things very easily i mean you can pin down the cardiac problems and things like that quite well based on the um, statistics etc etc but there are certain things that you kind of you get a notion about but you can't really pin it down because there's too much noise conflicting other information that where you can never really kind of pin it down to one thing or another (laughs) i think that is one reason why alan always returned to what those people wrote and said who have planned and implemented this agenda and what springs to mind as we're talking here 
is the Delta class from Brave New World. And, yeah. you know, that the new worker bee has to be created, and there is a variety of ways in which they can create that. If you're altering somebody's genetics, then then that is heritable. So, you know, you that there you go, a new class of worker. Yeah, because that was another thing that they kept very vague was to do with the effect of the injections on genetics. I mean, it was kept very vague in that um, they've outright lied about it. Well, yeah, that's what what I mean. But there was a lot of sources that would say, oh, yes, it is, no, it isn't, yes, it is, no, it isn't, yes, it is, no, it isn't. But it's fairly obvious, I think, really, that he was because... um, you know, uh, from what you know, from the from, from, well, the overall overall agenda. You know, the the creating the the, the, the human two point or whatever you want to call it, the next uh, the next thing that. And I always thought as well with the, with the jab that they are whatever is going to be in it, because it's obviously there is some risk to them that the agenda isn't going to go forward the way they planned it. There was a bit of a risk, even if it maybe isn't very much. They would also, there was, uh, to my point of view, they'd probably try and get as much as they could in, in the first jab as they could. Because if, if people refuse it after the first one, then it might not work. You, you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's right. It would, it would, have, yeah. to, it would yeah. have to be, it would have to be within the first jab or two, because uh, two at the, at the most, because if, if they didn't get it done by then, they could get a situation where, oh, I'm not having that now. It's interesting the that the big push now is that you want to get it in combination with your annual flu shot, et cetera, et cetera. So rather than trying to rely on people's hysteria and fear about whatever the variant is, it's just, oh, it's routine. It's never going away. And so you have to take this, that, and the other. You know, Malcolm, we have been talking for over an hour. And I... I want to say that there's a whole, you may have had other areas to get into, but I think we may have to have another conversation soon because we didn't get into ME and we didn't get into chemtrails. And I know that geoengineering is something that you have watched and looked at for years. So shall we say that we're going to do this again and maybe in March? Yeah, 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 that would be good. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Before we wrap, wrap, wrap it up, is there a closing Anything? Oh, well, I'll just I'll just say what Alan often you say, hang in there. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good way to close. Yep, hang in there, and that you know that is what we have to do. There's a lot that we don't know. Alan used to always say, "We can't know everything," and no matter how long you've studied this and how diligently, we can't know. And the victory, I have to say again and again, I have to remind myself and other people, the the victory is that we live, that we're not destroyed by the information, that we just keep living. Keep living, that's it. Yeah. So definitely, I, I really do want to get into the geoengineering and the ME with you. So let's plan on doing this. Um, February is going to be yeah, March. Yeah. So let's yeah, head March for March. Would be okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. that's great. So everybody who is listening, 
I'm not sure who is next week, but I think it might be Osman in Somalia because there are some big things happening in Africa right now that he's brought to my attention. And if it works out, then he and I are going to record something to go up next week. Otherwise, I don't know. But I thank you for listening, and I hope that you will join me again next week. And thank you, Malcolm. Thank you. Oh!